Hi, I'm Joanna Roach with the Mariah Mitchell Association, and you are listening to The Nature of Nantucket. I'm here today with Claire Martin, who is the project manager at Remain, and we are going to have a lovely conversation about all things resilience in the world and learn a little bit more about Claire. Welcome, Claire. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thrilled to be here today. Yeah. So let's start with... How did you get to Nantucket? I like to call this the Nantucket origin story. <laughs> that's that's a fun one. We all we all have them. Yes. I first spent time living on Nantucket during my undergraduate years. I came out to the island with a group of friends to work in the restaurants and was I was instantaneously drawn to the natural beauty of the island. And between, I think it was three different jobs I was working that summer. I was spending as much time as I could discovering and walking and running all of the trails and beach roads on, you know, throughout the, throughout the island. Um, one of those summers included a really great internship opportunity at the Inquirer and Mirror, the island's local paper. And I was given assignments as a staff reporter. So I would ride my bike all over the island to get interviews for stories and was able to connect with all sorts of fascinating people. And that was the, I really got to know the island. And where did you come from? I came from during those, I was, I studied at St. Michael's College up in Colchester, right outside of Burlington, Vermont, a beautiful campus. And I'm originally from the South coast of Massachusetts. So not too far, just across the sound. Okay. And what were you studying at St. Michael's College? I was studying journalism. Okay big background as a writer. I've always loved to write, Uh, learned a lot about communications and media studies during my time there and, you know, kind of towed my way into the world of journalism, um, but kind of eventually pivoted to where I am now. Okay. And what got you interested in in journalism, I guess would be the first part of the question. How did you, I, I heard you say you like to be a writer, but was there some thing you were particularly interested in, like investigating or learning about? I think what drew me to journalism was people and storytelling. And if I had to name a thread that has always been a part of my professional career, and, and probably even more than my professional career, but it would be storytelling. I've, I've always found storytelling to be such a powerful vehicle for change, you know, inspiring people to act, to think, to learn, to collaborate. And, you know, my, my writing skills and communication skills paired with that interest in people and people's stories and lives paired really well um, in the study of journalism. Mm-hmm. And how did you, how did you manage to combine that with, you know, environmentalism? Because mm-hmm. I, kind of, I, I kind of see that as what you've been attracted to. It's a great question. And I don't feel as though my journey to environmentalism and climate work has been very linear. You know, I, I had my, early background is quite varied. The writing was always there. Um, My background is in media studies and journalism, as I said. And I think that I was always seeking ways to apply those skills to areas of social impact. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I'm an empath. I care about a lot of things. And as someone who's very curious and passionate by nature, I often felt, I think, overwhelmed by all of the areas that I wanted, the areas of work that I really wanted to dive into. And I think what got me on this current path was um, in 2018, I moved from Nantucket to California and took a job with an organization called Nature Bridge. And they are an outdoor education organization. They have campuses in five national parks and they bring school groups on uh, programming outdoor trips from anywhere from three to five days. Uh, they also offer some really incredible backcountry backpacking programs for teens. But I was working in the San Francisco office, not far from our Golden Gate National Recreation Area campus, um, though I did have the opportunity to also spend time in our Yosemite National Park and Olympic National Park campuses um, during that time, which was just an incredible experience, you know, spending time with the students and the teachers who brought kids to national parks that often weren't too far from where they lived, but they, you know, it wasn't unusual for a lot of these students to have never spent time in the national parks. Um, at the time, Nature Bridge was serving, I think it was 30 or 35,000 students every year. And so was, I think it was through this work, or I know it was through this work at Nature Bridge, uh, this intersection of access to the outdoors and stewardship of the natural world all rolled up into climate that I really started to find my footing professionally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then did you leave San Francisco and come back to Nantucket? And that's kind of how you got started at Remain? Yes. Yeah, so, so it was actually due to the pandemic. Nature Bridge programming, unfortunately, was put on pause in March of 2020, along with uh, the rest of the world. And so I took the opportunity to come back to Nantucket. And that was when I joined the team at Remain and dove headfirst into the Envision Resilience Challenge that our executive director, Cecil Baron Jensen, was spinning up at the time. And that was in June 2020. And we've been moving full steam ahead ever since. Yeah. So I am a personal fan of that project. I loved it. It was super inspiring. And it, I'd love for you to share with our listeners, you know, what that project was and what it meant to you. Absolutely. I think the Envision Resilience Challenge is so many things. As you said, it's it's inspiring, probably first and foremost. Um, it's community oriented. So the Envision Resilience Challenge is a semester long design studio and community engagement initiative that connects multidisciplinary student teams from leading universities with coastal communities to envision adaptive and creative pathways forward in the face of all impacts of, of climate. It began as a sea level rise inspired design studio, but it quickly became quickly and organically became so much more than that. Um, as many as some local listeners of this podcast may recall, and as you mentioned, the inaugural challenge was held here on Nantucket in 2021. Um, we then last year brought it to Narragansett Bay, Rhode Island, and it's currently in its third year taking place in Buzzards Bay, so not too far from Nantucket, in New Bedford and Fairhaven. And there's a lot of shared history, of course, with um, New Bedford and Nantucket, which is one of the many reasons it's made it such an interesting and natural uh, site for the third year of our program. Got it. Got it. And what do you like personally when you think about this experience you had? What do you think you took away? from it? 
so much. I have, I, I'm, I take away something new each and every day with this program. The, we connect, it goes back to people and it goes back to storytelling. And I think listening, I think the, one of the key components of the Envision Resilience Challenge is our community engagement work. And so that begins a, you know, nine to 10 months ahead of a student team arriving to these sites. So we're working with teams from universities up and down the Eastern seaboard. These are teams in landscape architecture, architecture, they're urban planners, and they're coming with their skill sets and background knowledge in design. And we're tasking them with engaging with a community who's facing a whole number of challenges in a, in a, in a very short time period in one semester. So what my team and I do is we go to these communities and we spend time in the local coffee shop, just sitting and listening to stories from um, fishermen. There's a, there's a fisherman in New Bedford who's become a key kind of partner of ours, Rodney Avila. He spent 47 years fishing nearly every port up and down the coast and is now a liaison for the offshore wind industry in New Bedford. Um, it's people like this that are critical to the process of students designing and envisioning adaptive futures for these communities that feel reflective of what the community history, culture, values are. Mm -hmm. And so I think that piece of connecting on the ground thoughtfully, meaningfully, and really listening to people's unique experiences and, um, hopes and fears about a future under climate impacts, you know, how are they imagining their favorite uh, park for their kids, their grandkids, or maybe even themselves in the next few years? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, you know, for me, I think one of the things that I took away from looking at, you know, being at the presentation, going to the exhibits in the Macy warehouse, I think that it really did stretch my thinking around what could adaptation look like and you know also really showed that that's not in the in the distant future it's in the near future mm -hmm. and i think that was pretty powerful i i'm also wondering what you thought the community took away you know from seeing these projects do you i mean i certainly felt like i became more flexible in my thinking around this but i'm curious what you think those are, that's a great question. And it's one that we come back to as a, as a team and that I come back to and personally again and again. I think you're very spot on when you say that the student designs stretch people's thinking. You know, you said that it's allowed you to become a little bit more flexible on how you envision our future. And that was really the goal was that the student designs, you know, and on during the Nantucket challenge, we did not, you know, hold them to the current regulations, zoning policy or otherwise. We really wanted them to think out of the box, visionary for us, for the community to start to imagine how we learn to live with water in a way that is not scary. We're not going to stop the water. No seawall is going to... um you know, have any change to where we are today and, and what the projections for rising sea levels are. So how do we flip the thinking 
in almost learning to embrace the water, learning to live with it, allowing it to go where it might and where it will, and see what kind of innovative solutions we can come up with. And that's why there's a really big emphasis and focus on nature-based solutions, which to bring up that word flexibility again, that's what the goal that that's what nature-based infrastructure that's what green infrastructure is meant to do it's meant to be flexible adaptive and it has a number of co-benefits we know that in addition to protecting critical infrastructure these kinds of solutions um, do things like increased access to recreation and coastline they can they're you know certainly beneficial to the ecological health of these areas um, they improve restoration efforts they can enhance transportation and you know bikeability walkability in some of these areas so i think what the community has taken away is an expanded or maybe shifted way of thinking about how we imagine occupying some of our favorite places and spaces Nantucket is a community that loves and cherishes and celebrates its landscape um, and its working waterfront, for that matter. You know, all pieces of the island. And I think that there's a really unique and amazing way to celebrate, you know, that history of resilience. We've always been a resilient island um, while still embracing some flexibility in how we adapt and become stronger in withstanding some of these impacts of climate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what do you, you know, knowing all of that, you know, and you, I think have a special sort of uh, ringside seat, <laughs> if you will, to most of this, what, what do you really think the, the top challenges or, a few of them anyway, are going to be for Nantucket in the next five years? We are certainly not without challenges, and that is not unique to Nantucket. I think right now across the country, we see affordable housing and housing in general as the, the number one challenge facing so many of our communities. I think, um, you know, coastal resilience and rising sea levels, rising temperatures, urban heat, um, you know, navigating the transition to clean energy, food insecurity and food systems. These are issues we're seeing. These are challenges we're facing on a regional, national and global scale. And of course, we're feeling them close to home here on Nantucket. Um, I think that we are fortunate to live in a community with so many forward-thinking leaders and problem solvers. And as a, you know, an island community, by nature of being surrounded by water, we we have to think um, circularly about how we solve those challenges. So that gives me hope for where we're going. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, so, so let's see, next, next question along those same lines. What do you think the main obstacle that we're going to find in, in our community really is around adapting to some of these measures that we're talking about or incorporating them as solutions? Like, what do you, do you think that it is really education that's needed or or do you think that um, 
I don't know that we're just, you know, dyed in the wool New Englanders who don't like change. And I, you know, I, I, I think sometimes on a different day, I could be in either camp. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree with that there. I think it's a, all about a balance. I think that it's twofold. Certainly there needs to be a, a cultural shift in the way that we think about everything from, you know, landscaping, you know, native landscaping, landscaping in a more sustainable way to some of the bigger changes like um, harbor infrastructure and how we make our roads and, you know, all of the necessary um, pieces of island living more resilient. I think education and awareness and programs like a uh, academic design studio can help, as you said earlier, have that thinking become more flexible. Um, I also think there there needs to be policy change. I think that policy is behind in a lot of ways. And, you know, the Envision Resilience Challenge and Remain are, are by no means um, here to change policy. However, I think a co-benefit of the work that we've done with Envision Resilience is, you know, shifting the needle and how the public thinks about ways we adapt, which will eventually and hopefully inform policy. And that was part of the idea for sticking regionally for years one, two, and three of this program. Um, we're actually already on the ground in Portland, Maine, uh, laying some groundwork for a year four program, which is which is exciting. But I think that the, you know, sticking within the New England area, we've created this network of solutions thinking, partners, cohorts that, you know, there's a growing body of work there that we're hoping one informs the other. And we've already seen uh, community advisors or partners or faculty leads from some of these universities tapping into, you know, previous years to learn more and actually actually influence some changes in their own communities. If you could give our listeners, you know, maybe a couple of things that you think would be good for them to read and learn about, you know, resiliency or the project or, you know, maybe just kind of lead them to a little bit of guidance on the topic, what what would they be? Well, the easy answer is to point folks to our Envision Resilience website, which is a wealth of resources that we've been compiling since 2020. So each year we run a speaker series for the student teams, but we record them and make them available to the public. So we have year one is a 10-week speaker series program. Year two, we had a 12-week speaker series program. We learned a little bit in year three, and we just wrapped our six-week <laughs> bi-weekly speaker series <laughs> program this year. So um, some really, really incredible leading practitioners in their fields, everyone from engineers and artists to affordable housing experts and architects. Um, you know, these folks covered everything from the return on investment to you know, making changes 
to our, our resilience efforts now, as opposed to waiting for the next big storm. They, we had Colette Pichon Battle, who is a lawyer and activist out of Louisiana, who had no slides, no notes. She simply spoke for 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes to our teams, galvanizing them to act, to you know, invest in communities on the front lines to, again, going back to that listening, listening to the people who are in these vulnerable, vulnerable communities, most impacted by climate, who have been doing the work for a very long time. So the speaker series, and yesterday we, we wrapped that actually with Kelly Alvarez Duran and Joan Sara Ruth focusing on uh, carbon emissions in the built environment. Both of them are focused on healthy materials, um, you know, every thinking of embodied carbon from where it's mined and sourced to where these buildings stand today and even to the disassembly of, well, the hopeful disassembly rather than de um, demolition of buildings. So there's a lot that's covered in the speaker series. Um, you know, another resource that I would, I'm again sticking with our, our own Envision Resilience resources for a moment. We recently solidified work that we've been doing for a long time with Envision Resilience in what is called the Indigenous Knowledge Systems Initiative, um, IKSI, we call it ICSI. And this is an initiative that began really from year one. Um, we had the opportunity to work with a designer, Angelica Gallegos. She is of the Hickoria Apache Nation in Pueblo of Santa Ana. She was a student in year one of Envision Resilience and a, and, and a juror in year two of the program. She's now on as an advisor. Um, and so this work has been guided by and created in partnership with Angelica um, to produce not just a tribal land acknowledgement, but it's actually a working syllabus that acknowledges the indigenous communities in the Envision Resilience Challenge sites we've worked in, but also provide to our teams and also the public these resources focused on indigenous sustainability within architecture, planning, design. Um, and it's really meant to be a resource for community leaders, teachers, planners, farmers, architects of how we steward the built environment, um, which is nothing new, but, but, you know, it's this idea of reciprocity for land and ocean and nature. And I think that that applies to all of the challenges we've talked about so far today, housing, materials, food insecurity, resilience, you know, it's, it's this understanding and kind of respect for, um, you know, nature and it's the resilience that the Wampanoag people who were first here in Nantucket have always, always demonstrated. So I think we have a lot to learn from that. Well, that is a perfect way for us to wrap up. <laughs> I love landing on that note. And thank you so much, Claire Martin from Remain for being here today. If you've been listening, I'm Joanna Roach. I'm from the Mariah Mitchell Association and our podcast is called The Nature of Nantucket. Thank you.